Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, which is page 1009 in the Pew Bibles. Page 1009, Hebrews 13, I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 9 and verse 17. These verses this morning are particularly convicting to me. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by fools, not by not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you that you have given us the light of your word, that we may know you and that we may worship you, that we may entrust our lives to you, that we may conform our ways to you, and Lord, that we may manifest you. To all those ends, Lord, we pray, bless this, your word, that we will be transformed by the working of your spirit and your word. O gracious Lord, amen. The problem of leadership is is huge. Uh, There's so many problems connected with it. It's hard to get to all of them. One, of course, in the modern church is that there is no really respect for the authority of the church, the authority that God has given to his church. Uh, People are lightly connected to churches or uh, don't regard really submission to leadership as really a part of their Christian life. It's just between them and God. There's an extreme individualism not only cutting ourselves off from the fellowship of God's people, but from the legitimate authority of the word of God as it is expressed in the leadership of the church. And then on the part of leadership, you've got the problem of that leadership no longer proclaiming the word of God, no longer proclaiming the centrality of Christ, as we will see as the earmark of these leaders. And so at that point, Why should they be followed anymore when the only authority that they have is that they proclaim the word of God centrally, the person of Jesus Christ? 
Or, on the other hand, there is a proclamation of that word and yet uh, in some ways and yet there's not a living out of that word, not a living out of that word in love to not only the people of God, but to a community. And so the leadership can't be followed, actually. You can listen to what they say, but don't follow them because they are not any more than anybody else dedicated in laying out their lives for the sake of other people. Well, these leaders are quite different. And we're going to focus on the commands that are given to the people of God. But as we do so, we'll constantly be also discovering what was this leadership like. But because it's addressed primarily to the community and how they should respond to the leadership, I want to stick to that emphasis of the text And yet, as we do that, we'll see so much that is told us about the leadership itself. Now, remember the context here. And many times, verse 7, and I have to admit for years, I just knew verse 7 and verse 17 because they had to do with leadership. So, you know, you pluck your little roses out of the garden and, and look at your little rose and Very often, you don't even know what the garden was like and the whole beauty of everything around it. And really, the meaning of the rose is tied up with that. Because you recall, as we've dealt with this for several weeks, that the context of this whole passage is back in chapter 12, verse 28, to offer up God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And we saw that he immediately turns to the... Commitment of love to the practice of love among the brethren, let brotherly love continue and how that's shown in hospitality and visiting prisoners and the like. He basically repeats this in verses 15 and 16, offering up the sacrifice of good deeds to God. So this whole context is one of giving ourselves up to the will of God and and how worship shows itself in all of life. Well, this is a part of that context. This is a part of that context. So there can be no true offering of a sacrifice up to God. No true offering of ourselves to God unless we are in the ways that Scripture prescribes, giving ourselves up to the legitimate authority of the church. So we can't play this game ever of with legitimate authority that is proclaiming the word of God through Jesus Christ. Well, they're off doing so and so. Me and God are somewhere else. It never, ever works that way in the context of this uh, stringent, this self-sacrificing call to minister to one another, even if you lose your own goods and lose your own life and you end up in prison, still you give yourself in love to one another. He says, remember your leaders. Now, already, little preview here, the leaders must exemplify this kind of sacrifice. The leaders must themselves be living out this kind of Uh, sacrifice of giving themselves up to God in love. You see, that's a different thing. We've got to enter into the context of this passage to, to, to try to grapple with it. First of all, though, notice, though, 
there are three basic commands. The middle uh, word is actually a, a participle, but most say it's included in the command aspect of this passage. So it would be as ESV has it here. And if you're not there, it can help by looking on page 1009 to see what we're talking about. But remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This word remember is emphatic. It's up front and it's present tense. So you uh, continue to remember them. And when he speaks about these leaders, most every commentator agrees he's dealing with. The original leaders who are now deceased, the original leaders of the church that likely planted the church originally came and proclaimed the word of God to this church. And now they have died. But he's still saying, remember their lives. This has a little bit of the flavor of chapter 10, verse 32. Recall the former days When you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, etc. No doubt the leaders were right in front of that suffering, leading the way, proclaiming the word of God and living it out in their lives. And so he even in even though they are passed away, he's calling them to remember those who proclaim the word. And as he talks about speaking the word, that phrase is used several times in Acts for the proclamation of the word. So it was a standard phrase for the proclamation of the gospel. And you get a little flavor in back in chapter two of how this came about. Chapter two, verse three, this word was declared first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God bore witness by signs and wonders. So those who heard from the Lord spoke that word to us. It's likely those leaders that he's speaking about right here. Remember the word of God. Now, one point here that's so important. Their authority came only because they preached the word of God. William Lane underscores this again and again. That the authority that they hold does not exist outside of those. They're being the ones who spoke to you the word of God. That's the basis of the command in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So it is. And and this reminds us of the passage in Jeremiah 315, where the Lord says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is their authority. And many times, verse eight as well is quoted. And you may have heard this verse over and over again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Outside of its context. Well, here's its context. <clears throat> this this has several applications or two basic applications. But one is uh, that this is a, a crystallization of the word of God that was spoken by these leaders. This encapsulates the fundamental message that it was all about Christ and only about Christ, his majesty, his faithfulness. 
the fact that he will is and always will be the only savior for God's people. And so it is on the ground of their proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ that they were leaders in the church. And the one that they proclaimed and trusted, those leaders, is the same one that is proclaimed now by the present leaders, is the same one that they trust now. So there is an unchanging message of Jesus Christ. And they are to remember those who proclaim that word and continue to submit to that same word of Jesus Christ because they were being tempted now to turn away from Christ and return to a pure Judaism. And you see his point as he's driving home this message of Christ. Lane says this, to the extent that Jesus Christ was presented authoritatively in the preaching and the forward looking faith of the leaders, they themselves have authority in the assembly. And it's evident that to truly be the word of God, it must hold forth Jesus himself. So any message, any popular message on TV, any message from any church that doesn't have as its central goal and mission, Jesus Christ, the same today and forever, it is no longer the word of God. But there's another aspect of their life, not only what they spoke, but also, he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. You could quote this, consider the accomplishment of their life, uh, the upshot of their life. Consider how they lived. And he even says, then uh, imitate their faith and realize that against the backdrop of the whole chapter, Hebrews 11, that spoke about faith and especially the forward look of faith, the way that faith looks to the reward, looks to how God will deliver in that final day, even when nothing seems apparent uh, where we are. That kind of faith was exhibited by their, their first leaders, the same faith he's spoken of in chapter 11. And in that sense, to say Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, is that the same Christ who sustained them, the same Christ who was constant toward them and his favor and blessing flowed to them and he lavished his grace on them. He continues to flow that or to make his blessings flow to us and he lavishes his grace upon us as well. As Philip Edgecombe Hughes says, he is unfailingly reliable. This is not a statement so much about his eternity. It is a statement of what he is to us, what he is to you, how faithful he is to you. And so you can see if, if this is true, the, the sinfulness, the, the wickedness and the foolishness of turning away from this Christ that they're being tempted to turn away from. Don't turn away from the one whose only desire is to bring you good and who never swerves from that desire. He is the same. Yesterday, many have pointed out that that probably refers to that first group of leadership. And today, in our context, 
He's saying to them and in the future generations of God's people, he is always faithful and available and giving himself out for his people. Imagine a a native running away from a doctor in South America, running away from a doctor who caused a bit of pain in a necessary procedure that would have saved the native's life. And this this doctor who left a profitable practice in Boston suffered malaria or suffered disease in twice in the past three years, as well as other sicknesses in order to bring healing. But the man ran away from him. There's a little bit of that picture here. This Lord Jesus who gave himself for you and he is constant and will never change in his devotedness to you. Don't turn away from him. Remember your leaders who spoke that word to you. Consider their lives and how they gave themselves up in suffering and how God sustained them and they proclaimed and confessed Him to the last day. And don't turn away. You see, verse 9, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Many varied teachings, many different opportunities to trust anything and everything except Jesus Christ Himself. And anything in terms of self-help, in terms of works, in terms of whatever might be devised aside from Jesus Christ. And in this case, we don't have time to get into it deeply, but he's he's referring to the sacrificial meals and even how that sacrificial meal, which was a means, uh, as they understood, of receiving the grace of God was extended to all meals. And so. You know, on the surface of things, this is something really good. It's talking about the Jewish concept that every meal partakes of the grace of God. And there was a verse in Psalm uh, 104 that talks about bread strengthening the heart. And so every meal was seen as a kind of sacrament to receive the grace of God. And that's all good, except that its meaning is in Christ. And it has no meaning apart from Christ. And they were wanting to push Christ aside and say, we're going to go back to this whole sacrificial meal and and devote ourselves to that. And also, by the way, we'll be safe from persecution as well. You see, he says, don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The heart is strengthened by grace, not by foods. And so he's basically saying to return to Jewish ritual is to abandon grace. And it's to abandon your own heart. To abandon Christ for anything is to leave your own heart high and dry. Whatever the temptation may be. And it can be to disobedience. It can be to laziness. It can be to getting angry at certain aspects of the church and pushing yourself away. Any reason in the world we can find, we will to push our way ourselves away from Jesus Christ. It's the fundamental temptation of the enemy always to turn you away, even either in your thinking or your actions or your desires from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because then your heart will starve because nothing else will do and no approach to God will do except through Christ. 
Because that is God coming to us in the flesh. And if you reject God coming into your face, so to speak, through Jesus Christ and say, well, I'm going to find some other way. This is the way God has come to us in Christ. So he's basically saying, remember them. Remember that word that focused upon Christ. Don't be led away to anything and follow the way they live. Follow the way they lived. And how did they live? They lived by sacrificing themselves to love. Kind of reminds me of our vision statement. (laughs) Nurturing a joy for loving God and loving people by proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. Proclaiming, those leaders, proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what would result? Loving others and loving God. Now, this of course has, it has application. It's a little hard in one sense because we're not looking to leaders that have died, you know, in our church. And for the leaders that we have, many of you, Most of you, perhaps, didn't come to Christ under these leaders like all of these people did. So they're not your original leader. So there's some difference, you see, in the historical situation. But the fundamental thing is there. And, of course, it calls us leaders to, to never turn away from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am very proud of the leadership of this church and how it began with Mike's preaching and the commitment of this session from the beginning, that we will preach the grace of Jesus Christ and we will not turn from it. That's one of the reasons sonship is offered on Sunday nights, is to make sure that people don't miss the grace of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so I urge you, I urge all of you, any person sitting here, I can say, here's a church, we, we don't do it perfectly. We, we need to improve and, and grow. But we are committed to that thing above all else. And I'll tell you, if we ever turn from that, find yourself another church the next day. If we proclaim anything but the grace of Jesus Christ. It also calls the leadership to live it out. And there's where perhaps the pinch comes to us elders to say, wow, they were looking to people who perhaps many of them, some of them lost their possessions because they were living out the love of Christ. Some perhaps were imprisoned because they were living out the love of Christ. And so we have to ask the question, especially us reformed people who have our doctrine straight. You know, I I think of that. That uh, the book, you know, your God is too small or the question, how big is your God? And sometimes I think churches that maybe doctrinally aren't as may say as strong, perhaps on the sovereignty of God and other issues. And yet when you see people sacrifice and their faith and their love, you think, I think their God is bigger than my God. I think I'm playing games in my mind. To say, oh, my God is sovereign and my God will protect me and my God has a purpose for my life and all the things that we say about the sovereignty of God. 
Well, then we should be the most relentless, reckless, free, loving people giving ourselves away because we believe in the sovereignty of God. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God? Do we really believe God? Or is this just nice little doctrine that we can, you know, I won that argument. (laughs) Now, I'm not downplaying the importance of doctrine. I hope I emphasize that. I mean, we must believe the truth and we must be excruciatingly detailed and careful about the truth. But that truth will take on a life of love. In, in our community and spilling out to the world. And then, then we really get to be happy people. Happy are you, Jesus said. You heard these things. Happy are you if you do them. Brothers and sisters, happy, happy are you if you do them. Elders, happy you will be, I will be, if I do them. Believing God, overcoming our fears, overcoming, well, I don't even know what to do. Okay, pray. Give yourself up to God. Join, talk with other believers. Just say, we're going to manifest the love of God as it's displayed in this this chapter. Leaders and followers. Then, of course, there's this section in chapter, uh, in verse 17. We've seen the, the basic... Commands, remember and consider and imitate that faith. And then obey your leaders and submit to them. Same basic word for leaders. And this, this word leader is, uh, is used of, uh, you know, political leadership and other leadership. It, it really has to do with authority. <clears throat> and authority based upon the word, but a true authority. The word obey here has its, its root persuade. So there's kind of that idea that the word is persuaded, but it's true obedience. And this submission is is true submission. It's it can be said nothing else. But it's it's interesting here. Formally, remember them and consider them and imitate them because they proclaim the word because they live out that word. And here you obey and submit to them. Why? Because of the responsibility that's been given them. You obey and submit because they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, William Lane makes a good case for our translation. I don't very often do this, but uh, for the translations, emphasizing a wrong aspect of this uh, verb. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who uh, intend to give an account. Their purpose is to give an account. Uh, the basic uh, a translation called the basic translation says that they're they're ready to give an account. So it's not so much of, well, this is what we got to do, you know, but it's the purpose with which they oversee the flock. And it has this, you know, eschatology has to do with the last time. So they, you'd hear a theologian write about this and he said it has an eschatological reference, that final day of judgment. It's what's referred to here. And brothers and sisters, this is, this is an awesome thing. It's a terrible thing to read as a pastor and as an elder. And that's why Steve said, you know, he doesn't really want to read this. You know, I'd like to kind of hide this part, you know, in some ways. Um, but they're keeping watch over your souls. And it's not a joke. It's not 
it's not unsure. There, there are a lot of things that are uncertain in the future, but there's one thing certain that the leaders of the church will have to give an account. I think it includes giving account for their own watching over souls. Uh, it says, you know, back in Acts 20, 28, it talks about guarding the flock, especially the reference there is to doctrinally guarding the flock. And that has a reference here as well, the ones who are teaching the word and keeping watch over the flock that they might be not be turned to various doctrines and also encouraging the flock to live out its love, you see. That's a way to watch over the flock so that the flock is not living a hypocritical life. So that the flock is not just all about knowledge, but not about living out that word. So the, the elders would watch over the flock by saying, we've got to proclaim exactly this word focused upon Jesus Christ. And we've got to live out this word in all aspects of our lives. And so the guarding of the flock is so that the flock manifests in its life that indeed it is believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That indeed it has entrusted itself to Jesus and is manifesting its new life in the world. I read a a great pamphlet years ago written for elders and it talked about the many passages that talked about that, that say that we must endure to the end. And that's true. It doesn't, there's no doubt that God's people will endure, but they must endure to the end. Continue to believe. And he said, elders must be praying for and be concerned to their people to the dying breath that they confess Jesus Christ. That kind of concern. That you are, as Jesus said, walk the narrow way that leads to eternal life. And so elders must be concerned that their people are walking in that way. They have to be. They're commanded to watch over your souls. This is one of the reasons we've instituted small groups. Because we can't have personal relationships with everybody, but we are increasing at least. You know, instead of this kind, we're trying to increase the interface in the congregation so that more and more people are interacting with each other and kind of keep an eye on each other so that the whole congregation is keeping watch in this way. And so that's a way that the elders are trying to keep watch over everybody's soul so that everybody is having more relationship, more strength in these relationships. But then notice, it says, uh, they, them, it's not as apparent in the, uh, in the English, but they themselves are keeping watch over your souls. It, it basically means no one other than they are keeping watch over your souls. It is a full responsibility that God has given them and holds them accountable to it. So, the welfare of the community is tied to their response to their current leaders. Because in their case, there's apostasy. That's the danger of actually turning away from Jesus Christ. And therefore, not, of course, submitting to the leadership and the word of, uh, of their leaders. But notice what he says, and this, this really brings about a... An interesting aspect and motivation in Scripture. He says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. 
when they give an account of the grace of God and they give an account of their proclamation and their oversight, let them do it with joy because you've been responsive to that. Because you've given yourself to that word and and you sought to live out that word that was proclaimed. And I want to say to you, uh, I just read a biography over the weekend by Clarence Thomas, autobiography, and he's talking about his uh, his grandfather that raised him. That's the actual name of it, if you're familiar, uh, my grandfather's son. But his grandfather was was a disciplinarian, but not personal. Never touched him or hugged him or expressed his affection. And he spoke about how uh, he was then disturbed, as some of you may be, when you see your grandchildren doted on by your parent. You know, and think, why didn't I get loved like that? You know, and so that was true of Jamal, his his son and his grand and his grandfather. But um, the uh, the point he's making there is that uh, I, I almost think I don't want to say this. In fact, he asked his daddy why. He said, because you were my responsibility. You were my responsibility. And he was afraid that if he didn't hold tight hand on him, of course, he misunderstood that in many ways. But I want to say this to you. You have brought me personally much joy in my three years of being here. You have brought me so much joy. Uh, the way small groups have taken off, the way... Music ministry has blossomed and people have been responsive the way uh, the Mercy Committee has, and the deacons have responded, the way the elders have sought to lead you in difficult circumstances and make sacrifices and be discreet and protective even when it meant they might be accused, the way the women in the church are just flourishing and manifesting Christ in so many ways, the way we have 25 <laughs> mentors plus the Good News Club, we have 30 people every week that are in that uh, public school. It just brings me joy. And so I encourage you, continue, continue, to continue to walk in His ways. Because though it's said in a euphemistic way, for that would be no advantage to you if they gave a testimony with groaning. It, It would mean, he's talking about the loss of eternal life. He's really talking about absolute terrible things here. That if there was a report given that they turned away, they were unresponsive, they were just there but never gave any desire and it manifested itself in the fact that you never really trusted Christ, you never really gave yourself to His people, you never gave yourself to the ministry of the Gospel. Um, That they have to give a testimony and groaning. So these are serious words to us leaders. Are we keeping watch? Are we praying? Are we weeping? The word keep watch means to stay awake at night. You know, the, refers to the watchmen in the Old Testament. So we have to ask ourselves and repent. I know I do. That I'm not keeping watch over you faith, as faithfully as I need to. But isn't this interesting? The motivation... Of giving joy to your leaders. You ever you ever had that motivation? I know some of you have. To obey and to follow the word, and part of your motivation be to bring joy 
to your leaders. It's not the only time this happens in Scripture. Um, Paul talks about it. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, Philippians 2, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Isn't that amazing as a motivation? Here's my motivation for being of one mind. Complete my joy. Make me happy. <laughs> and that's why to the Philippians he can say, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. This, this sounds almost sacrilegious. First Thessalonians 2. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Almost sounds sacrilegious because you'd say, well, only Jesus is my joy. No. No, you, you are my joy, my glory, my crown in that day. And of course, that's seeing he's speaking of this in terms of the report that had been brought by Timothy saying that they're holding fast. They're holding fast. And so John says in third John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So, brothers and sisters, by God's grace, walk in the truth. And I have to say, as Paul did, make me happy. Make us happy. As you are already. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that this word would convict us and Challenge us and draw us after Christ. We, Lord, leaders, we have no hope in ourselves. We are nothing in ourselves. We deserve nothing. I think of Paul who said, by his grace, he made me a minister of the gospel. Lord, it is only by grace that anyone could lead your people. For we deserve, Lord, your displeasure. Make us humble men. Make us broken men. Lord, make us the most compassionate men. Make it to be that the care of this church is never off our hearts. That we weep for our people. That we lose sleep over our people. That we demonstrate it by more and more careful personal oversight and visitation and hospitality. Lord, give us grace that we will ever proclaim your word and truth and uphold Jesus Christ and his grace. No, Lord, work in the hearts of our people to follow your word, to follow Christ, to follow good leadership, to turn away from anything, the diverse teachings that come at us from every direction that would pull us away from Jesus Christ. And Lord, may there be no one here who would dabble in Christianity, dabble in God, with God's people, dabble with the leadership of God's church. But, oh Lord, make every person here demonstrate their sincerity to Jesus Christ by their sincerity and commitment to the bride of Christ for which he has died. Oh, Lord, bless us with utter, thorough sincerity that we will worship you 
and love one another and be a light to the world, whatever the cost. O oh Lord, save us. Have mercy upon us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Shall my soul with rapture trace